If you have your Bible or you've got your phone or your tablet, I'm going to be in Acts 11, and I'm going to try to be real brief. We're not in a series. I just got a little thought that I want to throw your way. If it sticks, good. If it doesn't, there's plenty of good restaurants around here, and we can forget about it. <laughs> How many of y'all been to Culver's yet? wasn't eating until 6 o'clock last Sunday. Just little regimen I'm on. Eat all my calories in a certain window. And I had to sit in that drive through with my wife and watch her eat a butter burger. <laughs> Man, it looked and smelled so good. And I'm in a I'm in I'm 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 in a struggle right now because I'm 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 about to preach about Jesus, but I'm thinking about a butter burger. <sighs> Isn't it just good to be in his presence? Why did we name it New Grace? Someone may ask, why, why, why new grace? Well, y'all just stay with me. I'm going somewhere, I promise. We'll get there in a little bit. <clears throat> I was introduced to grace at 18. Undeserved, unmerited, unable to earn it. The favor and the love of God that he showed me. I was introduced to grace at 18. Didn't know anything about it. My idea of God was he was a boring guy because the church that we went to occasionally as I was growing up was a boring church with boring people. It was a boring routine. <laughs> we, uh, we went to a church that I know y'all, okay? I know y'all. I know these guys. And I look around this room at some of these guys. That y'all couldn't stomach it for 10 minutes. Y'all have got up and left. And I'm not so in love with how I worship that I forget who I worship. But I do like how we do things. I like how, I like, I like how we just let God do his thing in here. You know what I mean? But that phrase, let God do his thing in here, has never been said at a place like what I'm talking about. Like... I just couldn't relate. I remember being a teenager, and we, we sat on the front row, which is so, it's not like my parents were like, let's go get on the front row where we're getting the action where it's happening. Maybe the preacher will spit on us. No, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like good. Like, at this church, people got there early to sit in the back. And so the front row is open, and we never got anywhere on time. Um, and, we, and so we just, we sat on the front row, and Everybody in the choir loft, you know, was wearing a dress, and the men wearing dresses. No, it wasn't a church located on a drag strip. It was it, it, they had robes on, okay, and and they all um, they all had their choir books, and they just put it right in front of their face and sang, for which I'm grateful because they all they were freaking miserable, and. And the pastor would get up there, and he was just so excited 
to be with all of those people. And he'd pause and savor the moment. And I remember thinking on the front row, I wish we were sitting in the back so me and my brother could cut up and get in trouble. But we can't do that on the front row because everybody will see us. And, and it was just a, I remember thinking, if this is what God's like, if this is what heaven's like, I don't want to go. I don't, I don't want to go. I bet hell's more interesting than this. And man, thank God somebody invited me to a church where they told the truth and I went in there and them people liked it and believed it and wanted it and desired it. And I got saved on a Sunday night in October of the year 2000, my senior year of high school and was introduced to grace and loved it, jumped into it. Six months later, started preaching. What? Preaching. Getting up with a Bible in front of people and telling them about a God that I just met six months ago. Yeah. Couldn't even quote John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. <laughs> Never even led in silent prayer. Had no clue what I was doing. And I'm just in it. Just walking, just loving it. Did evangelism, traveled and preached, got to do tent revivals. You've never lived till you've been to a tent revival. Nothing like going home with sawdust in your underwear and boiled peanut shells in your shoes and God dripping off of you. There ain't nothing like it. Spend all your tithe money on a preacher's tapes and CDs. Some of y'all have lived. Some of y'all are like, I think I won't. Pastored in Athens. Same thing like this, except it was legalistic. I didn't know it, because when you're in it, you don't know it. I never dressed like this. I'm not trying to be 15. I just, I didn't have anything to wear today. And I was like, well, we did announce New Grace, and I haven't had this shirt on in a while. I'm going to wear it. I had suit and tie every Sunday. Women had denim skirts down to the ground. God forbid we see your kneecap. I was in a legalistic bubble and was in love with Jesus, but was in love with how I worshipped him and how I did ministry. And I just, I, I, I lost my marriage, I lost my ministry, and I just said the heck with it, and I quit. And um, I was done, and, and, and I am so glad that at no point in the two and a half years where I walked away from God, he never at one point was done with me. At no point was he like, ah, yeah, we're, we're done. And in 2011, I got, me and Grace got reacquainted in a real way at Free Chapel in Gainesville, Georgia. And when me and Ashley, after fighting with God for about a year, said, all right, Lord, we're going to start this church. What do we call it? Well, what did we need? We needed some new grace. And I wanted to start a church for people like me 
who may have been done with God or done with church but not done with God or people that thought God was done with them or know there's people out there in a religious facade who are done with you and you need what we needed in our mess, grace and you recognize that the community that we are in is religiously broken and they need grace they don't need a religious experience. They don't need a TED Talks lesson. They don't need somebody to tell them, hey, you're all right. You're all right. You're all right. No, you're not all right. You need grace. You need grace. And one thing about grace, it's always new. It's not a bank account you can drain the funds from. It never is in the negative. It's never insufficient funds. We can't bounce any checks in the grace account. And when you think you've depleted it the day before, when you wake up the next morning, it's new all over again. It was new today. It'll be new tomorrow. It'll be new next week. It'll be new next month. It'll be new next year. And two decades from now, when you're still a flawed creature in need of Jesus, guess what? Grace will still be new then, just like it's new right now. I wish I had a new grace witness at 11 o'clock if you know my pastor needed it. I need it. And everybody, every day, everywhere needs new grace. That's why this place exists, so people can experience a new life in Jesus. And my, my question is, what does new grace, what does grace look like? I, mean, I know what it is, but what's it look like? Like, does the world see grace in this place? The neighbors look down the road, and when they see your home, do they see grace in that place? When you go to work and you step into the office, is there grace now in that place? I, 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 I want you to look at Acts 11 with me very quickly, and I want to show you a place that looks like grace. Acts 11, look at it quickly, verse 19. Now, they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose against Stephen traveled as far as Phinehas and Cyprus and Antioch, underline Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. So the murder of Stephen in Acts 7, the persecution and the havoc being wreaked upon the church and suffering from the hands of Saul and the religious crowd caused a disbursement, a scattering of the disciples to the uttermost parts of the region and world, hence landing them in a place called Antioch. Some of them were men of Cyprus, verse 20, and Cyrene, which, when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians. Now, now they're talking to Greek people. Preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch. They said, hey, Barney, listen, there are some things happening in Antioch right now, and it is God. 
And you need to go check it out and see this for yourself and see if you can throw some kindling wood on the fire down there. So they've sent Barnabas. He would go as far as Antioch. Look at verse 23. Who, when he came, underline this, and had seen the grace of God. He goes to a place and with his own eyes, he sees grace. What did he see when he saw grace in that place? Ladies and gentlemen, what does grace look like in a place like this? I want to show you several things very quickly, and then I'm going to get out of the way. Verse 22, notice what he said. Then the tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And it says, when he came, he saw the grace of God. Verse 19. Now, they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word, watch this, y'all, to none but unto the Jews only. So you've got this, this, these believers, these disciples, and they are preaching only to Jewish people. They are reaching what they are. But then the scripture teaches and tells us some of them, everybody say some of them. them. You and I are some of them. Some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians. Ah, we're talking to just the Jewish people now. You've got this group of guys who's finding Greek people. And they're preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. What do you see when you see grace in a place? One, you see a message of grace. Everybody say message. You see a message of grace, and this message of grace is what gathers people. The scripture teaches and tells us that they were preaching, and I like that word, by the way. I like that word, there's a time for teaching. Can I also say there's a time for preaching? I want to see somebody in to it. I want to see it in them. I want to see it on them. I want to see what's in them come out of them. Somebody help me this morning. They were preaching, and look what they were preaching. They were preaching the Lord Jesus. Can I say something about this message that they were preaching? They were not promoting a denominational label. They were not promoting a religious affiliation. They were not promoting a list of rules and regulations. They were not promoting a moral code or a moral creed. They were not promoting a preacher's conference with the who's who, the pomp and pristine of all the elect. They were promoting, the Bible says, the Lord Jesus. Can I take about 10 seconds and submit to you this morning that the message we preach is 2,000 years in age and it remains the same as it was back then. We are still all about the Lord 
Jesus. And when I tell somebody about Jesus, I'm going to give them the full gospel truth. I'm not going to tell them he was a limp-wristed, vanilla wafer-eating hippie carrying a surfboard around that looked like a white man with long brown hair. That's not the Jesus that I know, and it's not the Jesus that I serve. May I remind you this morning that the Lord Jesus, he was a carpenter on this planet, born of a virgin, lived 33 and a half years, and he never sinned one time. And the Bible teaches and tells us that he was the epitome, the example. He was the living, breathing testimony of God wrapped in human flesh. He came to this world. He turned water into wine. He opened up blinded eyes, and he unclogged deaf ears. He raised the dead. He walked on water. He calmed the storm, the wind, and the waves. The Bible teaches and tells us that betrayed by the hands of the religious crowd. He was beaten, scourged, marked, ridiculed, cursed, blasphemed, and beaten. And the Bible says that he was crucified on a cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. And the reason it was borrowed, he wouldn't need it but for three days and three nights. And then on that Easter Sunday morning, God rolled the stone out of the way. And my God, the Lord Jesus Christ, his body came back to life. Blood started pumping. Lungs started breathing. His eyes opened up. He folded up the napkin and he left it in the tomb. And in Jewish custom, if you ball up a napkin and you scrunch it up and leave it on the table, it means I'm done. But if you fold up a napkin, it means I'm here, I'm leaving, but I'll be back in a little bit. And can I testify and say that the napkin is still folded? He is not dead, he is alive forevermore. You can find the bones of Buddha. You can find the bones of Muhammad. You can find the bones of Joseph Smith. But if you go down to Jerusalem and you look in the tomb, you won't find any bones because he is alive. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the message we preach. It's all about Jesus. I said it's all about Jesus. Always has been all about Jesus. Always will be all about Jesus. And God jumps on anything that's all about Jesus. God will gather people to anything that's all about Jesus. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And some of you are here this morning because the Holy Ghost, he has lassoed you. And now he's reeling you into the truth, the reality that Jesus loves you, that Jesus wants to save you, that Jesus wants to accept you, that Jesus picked you, selected you. When he could choose anything or anybody, he chose you. He wants you to be in his family. He wants you on his team. He wants you in his party. He wants you in his posse. He wants you in his crew. He wants you in his game. He wants you in his home. He wants you in his heart. He wants you in his house. That's why God gave you new grace so you can realize that Jesus, he's the best thing that'll ever happen to you. He's the father. He's the friend. He's a foundation. He's the anchor of my soul. He is the cornerstone of the church. He is the lovely lamb of God. He is God in the flesh. 
He is God ascended on the throne. I wish I had a Pentecostal witness up in this place. If you know Jesus, he is. Everything he said and more. And when you preach that message of grace, it's not exclusive. They were preaching to the Jews only. And somebody said, let's try this with that Greek fellow over there. A Greek guy. Greek. Like, Greek. Like, like lounging around in togas and towels. Eating grapes. Aphrodite spray painted on the wall in graffiti. Peacocks pulling crates of cheese and wine. Dudes look like they've been on P90X. Come out with a six-pack at birth. Temple, temple worship. Temple worship of the Greek goddess Aphrodite. Solicited with prostitutes all over the place. And these guys, let me tell you what these guys did. I'm going to mess y'all up real bad right here. They didn't go build a brick building across the street and put a steeple on it and a sign out front and go, y'all come on over here and hear us talk about the Lord. Y'all come on, check us out on Sunday now. Because when you do it that way, it says, you're over there, and I'm over here, and if you want what I got, you got to come get it. And we got this mindset and this mentality, I got to go to church. When you see the word church in the scripture, I need you to bust a bubble that's resting in your mind. And that is we associate church with a building, a piece of property, a facility. You are the church. You are the church. If you are his, you're the church. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to go to myself. What? I'm going to go. What are you talking about? You don't go to church. You can be the church. You can be the church. Grace it's not exclusive in its message, but rather it's inclusive. It's saying this is for you too. God told me to tell you something. If your church looks just like you, you're in the wrong church. Because the message of grace gathers people that do not look the same. You want me to be a pastor or a preacher? I'll be a pastor. You ready? We have work to do. Because y'all look like me. Amen, Jeff Pierce. <laughs> you look like I do. We have the same skin color. And 90% of the room shouldn't be one skin color. That ain't what he died for. 
That's not how it's supposed to be. That's not how it's supposed to look. Well, you know, that's just why things are around here. I don't care. I don't care. Maybe that's why he put us here. So we can break all those barriers. Well, you know the way granddad, I don't care about granddad. He's in heaven. And he's probably shocked because his neighbors are not white. Why are we trying to build a church on earth that does not look like the one he died for in heaven? You have got to shed that religious, racist skin that you are born into. Message of grace says Jesus, a Jew, died for me and he died for you. He died for everyone, everywhere. And we need to get our mind wrapped around this message that it's simple. He died, he buried, and he rose again. And that is for everyone. Franklin, White, Banks, Jackson, Clark, Habersham, Paul, I'm leaving one out, but God knows it. He died for everybody everywhere. Amen. 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 There's a message of grace. There's a measure of grace. Look at the scripture. There's a message of grace. This is what grows people. This is what grows people. I like this. Check it out. It, whatever, I, just whatever I gave you. I don't, I'm not looking at my notes. Just, just guide me. Holy Spirit, screen, guide me. Jesus, help us. There we go. So Barnabas says, okay, I see grace in this place. Grace is all over Antioch. He goes to Tarsus to find Saul, previous murderer of the church, and says, you got to come see this for yourself. When he found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church, taught much people, See, assemble themselves with the church, taught much people. It's not a building. It's not a rented facility. And the disciples, check this out, y'all. The disciples were first, were called Christians first in Antioch. Now, a measure of grace is that grows people. What's the growth? Check this out. When they got to Antioch, they said, okay, these people are being drawn to the message. They're getting it. People are getting saved left and right. Now we have to help these people grow in grace. And so they begin to meet with these people. Notice what it says, a whole year. Now I want you to think about this. You got a Greek guy who doesn't know anything about Jesus. In his mind, Zeus is God. In his mind, this mythology, this belief system is right. Somebody comes to him and says, Jesus died, was buried, rose again, and he wants to accept you and save you and forgive you. I'm in. He knows nothing. He knows no scripture. He doesn't know church routine. He doesn't know etiquette. He doesn't know anything. For one year, these two guys met with these people from house to house in a small group setting, and they taught them God's word and God's truth. I want you to get this. Listen, here's where I'm going with this. It took them one year. They made such a transformation 
unbelieving onlookers saw this transformation and said, those are Christians. That word didn't exist. In fact, the word Christian is a mockery term. That wasn't a good word when they said it. They said it as a sneer, poking fun at believers. It, Christian, A-N, they added A-N-S, I-A-N-S, Assyrian, Persian. It tells you who you belong to. That add-on tells you what party you're a part of. We have a Republican Party. We have a Democratic Party. We have a Libertarian Party. That tells me what sect, what group you belong to. And they got labeled. Now, don't you, don't you miss this. They didn't label themselves Christian. But they were so Christ-like that somebody on the outside saw the growth and said, Jesus people. Party of Jesus right here, party of Jesus. And they thought, that's not critical. That's a compliment. You just told me, square one, an unbelieving has no clue Greek guy wearing a toga towel, leaves in his hair, drinking wine with a pet peacock. Twelve months later, is walking in the authority, the boldness, and the truth of God so much. His conduct, his character, his nature, his decisions, his speech, where he goes. What he, instead of being over here at the temple, worshiping Aphrodite, now he's in the streets telling people how sweet Jesus is. And the onlookers say, oh, look, it's a Jesus person, a Jesus site, a Christian Here's my question to you. You've got the message of grace. Are you stacking up to the measure of grace? Is your growth... It should mean more to you. When a woman at work notices you're a good Christian instead of your pastor. Because this is the only version of you I see. Which is the best version. Nobody brought their drugs in here. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, nobody was walking through the lobby. Hey, man, it's your blankety blank day. You know, no, nobody's doing that. Well, well, no, no, nobody. We got our best version on. So I'm going to assume by surface level, everybody has pretty good Christian. And then I walk out going, I hope they don't know about me. And you're in here going, I hope they don't know about me. What the measure of grace we should line up against is when the world looks at us and says, you're so much like him, I can't even deny it. You got so much of him in you and on you, there is no doubt who you belong to and who you're running with. Would to God the world could look at us, our neighbors could look at us, our family could look at us, our children could look at us, and people would say, that walking, talking example is what you call a Christian. Amen. That's growth. Come on, Jake, let's close. There's a message of grace, that's what gathers people. There's a measure of grace, that's what grows people. And then there's a ministry of grace, and this is called going to people. 
This is what goes to people. Look at our scripture to close. Y'all check this out. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem. And look where they came. Look where they came. To Antioch. A place where grace was being seen. And there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world. It's a famine. The world is about to go through an economical crisis. There's about to be a lack of goods, resources, food, and currency. And it came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Look at this. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. See, there's so much grace in this place, now it has a ministry. It doesn't huddle over in the corner with an inward mentality that says, if you want to get something from God, you got to come right here to get it. Rather, they had an outward mentality. They saw a need and they determined to send relief Money, supplies, food, resources, pastoral care, aid, support, prayers unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, verse 30, which also they did, and they sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Grace goes. Grace goes. Grace will throw cardboard boxes of food and canned goods and drive 35 minutes down the road, park a car in a parking lot, walk across a highway, walk up a hill into a wooded area and find a man living in a tent and say, this is from Jesus. He loves you and he wants you to have some food to eat this week. God is in the business of taking care of needs and that's why I'm here. Grace goes. I love what it says. It says, they determined to do this. You know what I have found to be true? If you do not determine to give, you probably never will. It is a predetermined decision. I'm going to give of myself. I'm going to give of my time. I'm going to give of my money. In fact, everybody in this room, for the most part, had determined when you pulled on this property whether or not you were going to give in today's offering. If you gave online, at some point you were faced with the Spirit of God saying, when you got paid, okay, hey, you know what you need to do now. And you had already determined, I'm going to do it or I'm not going to do it. And when you determine, I'm going to do this, you'll do it. When you determine, yeah, I'm not doing that, you don't do it. And they determined, we're going to meet this need when it's presented. And they put some feet to their prayers. They didn't pray for change in the community. They prayed to be the change in the community. One of the coolest things that came out of the free food giveaway we did up here, and she didn't mind me telling this, Rebecca, who is actually from North Augusta, Rebecca lived in North Augusta, Jake and Courtney lived in North Augusta. They moved here to come join this church and team and be a part of this with us. And Rebecca was friends with them, but she came and experienced a service here at New Grace. And she told them, she said, I don't know what it is about this, but I think this is where God wants me to be. She left her home in North Augusta, South Carolina and moved here to be a part of New Grace with us and serve the Lord. How cool is that? Just one experience that, all right, that's where I'm supposed to be. Well, what she has started doing ever since the free food giveaway is she has started 
outside of her regular giving, she has started taking money and buying food and packaging it and taking it to Tent City in Athens and feeding the homeless. She didn't tell nobody. She didn't sit on the sidelines and wait for us to create an event. She didn't wait for us to put on Facebook and say, look, we're being the church. Look at us. Follow us. Look what we're doing in the community. No, she just, she just did it. Because that's called being the church. And when there's a place of grace, it's going to go to people that have need. People won't hear you when they're hungry. Hey, Jesus loves you. Can I have some food? No, but he loves you. That doesn't sound like the God I heard about in the Bible. Hey, Jesus loves you. I need somebody to help me through this. I don't have time for that, but Jesus loves you. Hey, Jesus loves you. I'm going through a divorce, and I don't know how I'm going to make it. Well, he loves you. But let's keep our distance because we don't, we, don't, we don't want none of you ugly. We, we don't, we don't want to get that cancer. I never thought I'd say this, but I'm, I'm glad I'm divorced. I'm glad I'm divorced because divorced people come in here and they hear a preacher who's divorced. Now, it ticks off religious people. I like that. But there's people that come here and they're like, that dude's been through a divorce? They had an affair? That's how their marriage started? That's their story? There are people in this room, when I said that just now, a little spirit of went over you. Listen, you got a perfect thing going, all right? And I don't want you to, I don't want you to, I don't want us to mess up your perfect thing. So if our, if our mess messes up your perfect thing, then you don't have to come back. But if, if my mess somehow is a message to you, that you can be as broken as broken gets and God can say, I can still pick up the pieces and do something with that. That looks like grace. That looks like grace. You know what? Let's stand up. Come on, stand up. Let's just come down here in this altar and let's thank God for some new grace.